Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. If you struggle to promote your latest blog post, then I think today's episode is the episode for you. Uh, my guest today is Sujan Patel, and he has over 13 years of internet marketing experience, has led many digital marketing strategies for companies like Salesforce, Mint, Intuit, and many other Fortune 500 uh, companies. So he's kind of a big deal, which is quite interesting to have him on the show. Uh, and at the minute, he has two businesses. He has a marketing agency called Web Profits, and he has a SaaS business that basically has many SaaS tools underneath. Uh, you might have heard of Mailshake, which is a tool to do email uh, outreach, Uh, you might have heard of Q, which is Q-U-U-U, uh, which is a content promotion tool. Also, Peak.co, which is a, a simple tool to schedule meetings. So, Sujan is quite busy, as you can see. And today, we're going to go through content promotion and why it's the single biggest point of failure for marketers. And we're going to go through a step-by-step -step approach to teach you how to improve. So, as usual, have a listen. Let me know what you think. You can send me an email at louis at everyonehatesmarketers.com and I'll reply to you quite fast. Sujan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for being on the, on the show. There's one thing that I've noticed, you know, by having followed you for a while now is you publish articles almost every day. You publish them on entrepreneur.com, Forbes. Inc. Business Insider, your own blog, your different softwares that you have uh, on, on their own blog. So you publish a little bit everywhere, which is crazy. So the first question to you is, how many ghostwriters do you have? <laughs> I actually don't have any. I tried it. They all suck. Uh, it just becomes very, um, what is it called? It, it becomes just very copycat or just very familiar sounding content. Um, and so I just have a really good process, to be honest, that I think I've, I've talked about it in other, other interviews and in other articles that helps me essentially pump out content really quickly. And the process is, so let me just tell you the, the most time consuming parts about creating an article. One is the getting the facts right, getting the research. And that part, you know, it could take 10 minutes. It could take an hour, takes two hours. Like, If you don't have that right, you pretty much don't have facts in an article. You're giving your opinion. And so I have a person that helps me with that. The other thing is um, a lot of my articles, especially early on, these days I'm much, much better at writing and I can crank things out really quickly, like 20, 30 minutes. I can create a – what you what the end result would be like a 3,000-word blog post usually takes me 20, 30 minutes. And that's because one – When I write, I'm talking, I'm just writing out my thoughts and I'm writing almost in bullet points. I'm creating this like really in-depth outline, which I'll then kind of go through and add audio and kind of talk through those main points. And that audio gets transcribed. I'll go take the first pass to editing and then I'll have a professional editor. So the research is outsourced. Again, like it's outsourced before I even take a look at writing the whole thing. Uh, it used to be the other way around where I would write it and then they would add research, but it just created a long back and forth. And then the second part is the editing. Like I suck at grammar and spelling. If you see any of my unedited work, you'll see it. But um, I don't want to get good at that. I'm never going to be a professional freaking, you know, editor or I'm not going to be a linguist or, you know, expert communicator. I know what I know. And so I've kind of outsourced that. And uh, I have a person I've been working with for like eight years. She pretty much knows what I would say and how I would say it and like the slang I actually talk about. Like, And that's because she's had to transcribe like me talking to her at her uh, one-way conversations uh, for, for eight years. Well, yeah. So exactly as you mentioned, there, there are a few podcast episodes out there where you go through the process in more details. And I guess what I want you to do in this episode is, is actually going through another part of, of what you discussed uh, a few times, which is the content promotion of it. Um, so that's what I'd like to drill down uh, with you in this episode. But before we do that, uh, and before we go through that, uh, there's a few other things I want to talk to you about. But first, first of all, thanks for being honest about it. And I know this question was 
I knew the answer because I knew that you, you talked about it before. I'm just curious, actually, why why did those people, these, those ghostwriters, like, why did they suck so much? Was it just because you felt it wasn't you or was it something else? Yeah, so a couple of things. One is nobody knows what I know. I mean, people may know more, may, may know different facts. And I think it's very clear when the author has very little to do with the article. The other part is there's no, like, I have real experiences. Like, I remember when I went, to Romania and I got there, you know, I went there for my, I was keynoting a presentation, uh, keynoting a conference and, you know, I got there at like 11 o'clock, my bags got lost and that could be a part of a story somewhere. If I ever talk about public speaking, I'll talk about how crazy the travel is because there's all these uncontrollable things. No ghostwriter ever would know that information. So it's just that, like those stories, the voice and really just the depth of knowledge. The depth is always is always missing. And I've talked to a lot of others who like use ghostwriters and also just, um, or have kind of like an editorial team around them. And everyone kind of echoes the same thing is that it's, it's impossible to get the voice unless you work with one person for a very, very long time. And you are very involved in the article. Is there any, do you think there is any use case for actually using ghostwriter? Not really. Might as well just give the person who writes it the credit better uh yeah i guess people wouldn't really outsource public speaking for example right i mean that's not stupid to say but yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't hire an actor to speak on your behalf would you no exactly and i think that's a so like one of the things i see a lot of is there's just a lot of and you know you're gonna you know you asked briefly about content promotion before but a lot of people i think are creating content that is nothing more or better than anything that's out there. It's the same. It's, it's, it's really, it's, I would call it me too content. And when you do that, it's easy to, it's easy to get a ghostwriter to write it It, because they're going to literally copy what else somebody else has wrote already, right? Like you can do the research and write it in your quote unquote own words. But what I try to do is try to push the envelope of what works. Now, don't get me wrong. Like I write for entrepreneur. I write for a lot of different places. And frankly, they, those articles are not the stuff I would read. I'm writing for that audience, right? And so like, I, you know, th- my editors at Entrepreneur, they're like, hey, look, we want inspirational stuff. If you get in the weeds, nobody's going to get, no one's going to even read the whole thing, right? And so you kind of have to write for the audience. And what, you know, uh, my friend Pep Laja, he's, I always see him on Facebook and I don't think I've, I've called it out on this, but he's always like, Oh, I'm sure like 10 ways to become, you know, how billionaires think or how to, you know, I think I wrote this article on how to invest like a millionaire without being a millionaire. And that's because like there's like six or seven different services that you can use these days. If you have like $50,000 ever to invest, there's new like on demand or kind of crowdfunding and things like that that you can do. That is really how to invest like a millionaire, how, how most rich people do invest, but without having that much cash. Now, is it rocket science? Is it like, is it things you probably don't know? Is it not logic? No. But some people, that information is gold. And that's the audience that they have. That's something I really struggle with. Uh, I'm, I'm, light years ahead, I'm light years behind you in terms of being able to write content. Uh, and that's something that frustrates me. And um, when I drill down to the reason why I, I actually struggle is because I want every single thing I write to be new, original, helpful. And I put so much pressure on myself that I actually end up never writing, right? Uh, but I appreciate your honesty in saying that basically what you're writing sometimes is not for you necessarily. You don't necessarily classify the content as the best on the web for this particular topic, but still you kind of write it because it's for your personal brand, it's for your businesses, and, and this is part of your promotion strategy, right? Yeah, and I think the... So I look at like, writing for third party sites, like, uh, not necessarily industry specific, but like the broader business entrepreneur ones as exposure. Um, it, whether you like it or not, it does, it does help you get like, it, it does help you have credibility, instant credibility. Like, uh, and, and, and it's like, gives you some clout. Now, Industry publications, like, like I write, a, I like, I write a lot for Content Marketing Institute. And those guys are like, we have a really strict review process. 
uh, with them. Like, I mean, they have a really strict, strict review process with me, I mean, and all writers. Um, those are more like what I would call the awareness phase. So if you look at kind of like, if you look at your website and your brand and your real, if you're trying to build a business or, or a personal brand or whatever you're trying to do, like, let's just say you want to try to get, get out there and, and make money. Um, well, there's visitors to your website. That's comes from, you know, creating content on your site. If you're, if you're using content marketing, awareness is visitors or eyeballs to popular industry sites in, in your space. And then exposure is literally being on the top websites and being out there right now, the quality of people or the relevancy is far, you know, you know, far out on the exposure side. But at the end of the day, um, it, it, I, I've been able to make it work. I found a lot of people are, you know, they, they come and go. Um, you know, there's very few people, um, that are actually consistent with creating content. And, uh, you know, I know, I know a lot of people hate on, uh, on Neil Patel, uh, and I'll give you kind of two polarizing options. Like there's Rand Fishkins, there's Rand Fishkin, and then there's Neil. Um, those guys are like the exact opposite in kind of the spectrum of like craziness of what they do. Um, but at the end of the day, both of them have been at it for like 15 years, just maybe not 15, but like I think like 12 years just creating content, article after article. And that's because they figured out the value of content. I see a lot of people come and go. And those people, I can, I can see that like they, they get what they get out of it. They see the downward before it really goes up uh, again and, and they bail out. Yeah. That's a good point. Consistency and, 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 and considering this effort, like this tactic to be a long-term thing, it's not, it's not going to pay off in three months or six months. Building a brand takes, takes years or even decades. Right. So before we drill down into, actual actionable stuff we already talked about quite a lot but uh, there's quite a lot more i wanted to ask you regarding content promotion there's something that i picked up from in learning more about you um, so you have 13 years experience in in-house and agency sites uh, businesses and now you have two businesses so you have ramp ventures which is all the softwares the SaaS businesses that you have so you have Mailshake the, that you launched recently, which is an email outreach uh, software. You have Pick.co, which is a meeting scheduling software. Uh, and you have a few others that we can talk about in the next few minutes. And then you have Web Profits, which is your agency. And there's one thing I picked up in, in your about page, particularly. So four years ago, you had another agency called Singer Grain. And you were very transparent about the fact that you burned out, right? So can you tell us what happened a little bit more in details? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, now that it's been, you know, four, almost like three, a little over three years since I've exited, I've had some time to kind of reflect, a lot of time to reflect. So what I'm saying today may not match kind of what I've said before. It's just because, you know, I've leveled up as a human being or progressed further in, in, in my thoughts. But, but anyways, what I figured out was I just built the company wrong. Um, I was very much very involved in everything too much of the business to put it simply. Um, I was, you know, what operations and managing employees, I had too many direct reports. So mistake number one was I was just too involved in all things of the business. I should have, I should have gotten, I created a video recently that that will come out soon. Um, around like the things I've learned, I think it's like 15 lessons that I've learned from kind of running two different agencies. Uh, both, you know, have grown to seven figures. What, the, the ladder where profits has grown much faster. And that's just because we found like, like good accountant, good bookkeeper, like a, an outsourced CFO that pretty much makes sure we don't do anything dumb because we're going to always have dumb ideas. And that's just, there's no way around it. You have to vet it through. And I'm not going to be a CFO. I'm not going to ever be the best CFO. I'm never going to be a, the best, you know, um, at grammar, but, um, but there's people that are smarter than that at me. And so, it's hiring those people in the right places. It's having at single grain. I started this thing. I started the company when I was 22, 23. Um, well, really, like I actually started when I was like 19, but I went full time at 22, 23. I literally had no clue what I was doing. It was just like, a every, I feel like for some reason, every freaking marketer in the world has this pipe dream of like, I want to start my own agency because that's what they think is going to make them a lot of money. And what they realize, what they don't realize is it's actually, better to have a job. You can have more, you can probably make more money in the short run, but it, it, you know, it's building wealth versus having income. Um, and so 
So anyways, I, uh, I didn't really have like financial goals and, and things I was striving through. So after we hit about like, you know, that last year we hit like 25 employees. One, we were spread out across, uh, multiple state, uh, parts of the U.S. So we're distributed, which was good, but also bad because, um, because I was managing too many direct reports. So failing to hire managers was probably the second biggest mistake, uh, early, early on. And it wasn't for a lack of trying. We actually tried from like day one of the business to hire an SEO manager and a manager or director for every channel of services we provided. We just couldn't find people who were good enough. And we built, like we trained up people faster than we would be able to hire people that are that level. And that's just because a lot of bad habits and, 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 and kind of, I don't really think a lot of marketers as good as they think they are. They're just marketing them themselves. Um, you know, there's a lot of people that like are, I would call them situational marketers, uh, people who have worked at large companies or successful companies who are probably successful because of the company and the product, not as much as their skill set. Like if you rip the marketer out of Facebook and you put them at some like rinky dink freaking small little company, they're going to fail because they don't work well in the operation. But anyways, sidebar conversation. I'm ranting here. But at the end of the day, it was just, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't know enough about running a business. Um, I was smart and I did a lot, a couple things right. I, I, uh, you know, we, we built a big culture, uh, a big, a big brand around, uh, around kind of the Bay Area. We worked with a lot of startups and whatnot at the time. And so, you know, I, I made sure everyone that gave us business, everyone that we worked with, because I was so personally involved, the thing I made a mistake in scaling the business was actually the very reason we were getting so much business because most agencies had account managers. Uh, my agency had me. I can't scale, but at the same time, the quality was just far greater, at least for the early days. It's, it's really interesting to hear your thought about it because... I actually had a consulting business up until a few weeks ago. And even though we didn't reach the scale that you're mentioning, we were four people working remotely and I did the exact same mistakes. I, I was way too involved in the business. I cared way too much of the clients, uh, and I burned out. Uh, so that's why I also wanted to hear your thought. So I appreciate you being transparent on it. It's, it's really cool to hear you say all of those stuff. Um, the other thing I picked up is that you're mentioning a few times that you work around 80 hours a week. Um, now, personally, there is something I can't work 80 hours a week. I try it. I, ca I cannot do it, right? So are we talking about, I know that you're going to say, obviously, it depends on week after week or whatever. But in general, do you think it's like 80 hours in your definition? Would it, would it be like productive hours or would it be more like, you know, 80 hours thinking about work or, you know, do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I kind of break up. So, so the answer question these days, it ranges between like probably 50 and 80 hours. And that's just because, um, my travel schedule is crazy. And so literally if I'm traveling for, you know, a conference or I'm usually when I do a conference, or like if I'm speaking, I'll try to do one, a couple of them in an area. So it's like very productive. If I'm traveling, I'm working pretty much a hundred. I'm working way more. I'm working a hundred hours. Uh, and the reason being, and that's, and I'll tell you about how those hours are broken up because there's a lot of networking and meeting people and connecting with people. That's probably half the time. Um, but after those weeks, usually for like two weeks, I am working less just because I need to recover mentally. I'm like physically and mentally tired from talking to other human beings. I just need to kind of like, be my by myself for a bit. But, um, on an average week, which is, um, usually I have like two normal weeks and two like crazy travel weeks every month, at least these days. Um, so I break it up into three parts. My normal week, I have creative hours, writing, creating videos, producing, like sharing what I know, like, you know, maybe we're like, we're doing, um, soon we're going to be doing this Facebook live initiative where, we're pretty much going all in on Facebook live video and interviewing other influencers and experts. We're pretty much taking what we do for YouTube and doing it live, which is incredibly hard because, uh, I'm generally like polished when it's edited, but generally awkward when it's not 
edited. So like if somebody comes on a live video, anyways, it's hard. Uh, so creative hours, I spend probably, you know, it's, it's probably one third of my time, but like half, if not more of my mental capacity. The second part of my hours is literally the minutia that it takes to run a business. And we have six. So even though there's ramp ventures and web profits, there's six entities within everything, mostly in ramp. There's, there's, there's kind of smaller business within it for each SaaS business. Um, it, there's just a lot of details in there, right? Um, it, and the, the other third is, is I would say, um, relationships and that kind of is relationship with my employees and making sure they're, they're kind of growing. Um, I like to surprise people. So like the other day we just took the team, uh, at web profits and like, Hey guys, you're working till 12 tomorrow. Um, and then we took them to like the NBA playoffs game. And so it's like random stuff like that. One is, uh, another one would be like new people. Um, just trying to connect with new people and really build relationships because, uh, I found that's so important. And lastly is clients, right? So like, um, I have the day to day client work, which I would find, I would call like the minutia. Like it's just things that need to be done. Um, but this is making sure all the things we're doing, like taking a step back and making sure like we level with the clients and saying, Hey guys, like, yeah, we're probably doing all this stuff and it's going to work or maybe it won't, but like, is this the right things to do? What's the goal? Are we hitting the goal? And really like making sure they're happy. Uh, and, 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 uh, because there's so many things you can do, but I found very early on and I see this time and time again, action versus motion, right? Motion is doing a lot of things, taking action and being, getting results is, is very different. And it's, it's very easy to mistake the two. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the, the, the first part, just briefly, the creative side, you tend to do that in the mornings, mornings, evenings and weekends, usually either one day on either Saturday or Sunday, I'll put in like a half day of work or, or maybe even more sometimes, uh, just depends on what I need to do. Um, at the end of the day, I break in, I break up like the hardest part for me personally is, is, um, when there's like, let's just say I have to do something, I have to create a presentation and, you know, obviously like, let's say I'm giving a talk, I have to create a whole like slide deck. I have to, you know, put together what I'm going to say. It's really hard to do in one step. And I really suck when there's this, you know, when I have nothing to start with and I, there's this blinking cursor that I have to type my first couple words. Um, what I try to do is I split them up into two parts. I do the outlining. I do all of the kind of ideation and the things that like I literally take a white, either write it or like Evernote and I just start typing my thoughts into kind of organized semi like just bulleted points and then I can organize it later. Once I've done with all my thoughts, I will go in a later time to make the final like presentation itself um, because then I have everything done and I can just focus on how to best present that information. But the same thing with every like articles, videos, everything I create, there's the you know, like three fourths of the work is done at a different time than the final finished product. Gotcha. Okay. Let's go back to marketing a little bit. Uh, thanks so much once again for sharing your process. I appreciate your, your transparency. So there's one tool that you use that you've developed in uh, Ram Ventures called uh, narrow.io, which is a automated Twitter engagement uh, tool, basically. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't like those, right? Let me be honest uh -huh. with you. And <laughs> the reason why is I think, I mean, from, from the research I've made and, and the, the kind of talking to other people, it feels like disengagement that we get from automation is not as good and as genuine as proper engagement. So, you know, if somebody follow me on Twitter because he, he or she heard or listened to one of my episodes and just make the actual path to find me on Twitter and then follow me, I can almost guarantee that this person will be a much more valuable follower than somebody who followed me automatically because he or she, you know, tracked the, the, the hashtag growth hacking and I tweeted growth hacking once. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So mm -hmm. what's, I, I wanted to check with you. I don't want to put you on the spot. I'm genuinely interested. What do you think of the, you know, whether it's, ethical, whether it's effective, what do you think of the, the, the effectiveness of this kind of automated engagement tools? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you asked and you should put me on the spot because as an owner of an automation tool, you, uh, 
uh, I have a very specific view is, is really like, you cannot automate a hundred percent of things, right? I think there's like tools that go and like, well, follow, they'll DM you. Like, this is just, let's just talk Twitter specifically. They'll follow you. They'll like you. They'll DM you. Like it's pretty obvious. This was fake, right? Now I've tested those. I used to use Cicito and I got, uh, and it's a great tool. And you can even, it goes even one step further. You can follow, like on Twitter, and then it will add them on LinkedIn if they engage, uh-huh, which is crazy, right? Like, and then you can message them on LinkedIn, which is this crazy automated flow. Uh, I got really, one really good reason. Like, so the same month of doing this, one person called me out because the tool messed up and like I followed them and I accidentally unfollowed them and they wrote an article about me saying like, I'm a, I'm doing some shady practices. Like I had no freaking clue this is happening, right? Like I think the tool just literally messed up. Um, or maybe like, you know, some, I had no clue. So the other part was at the same, the same exact campaign got me invited to be a guest lecturer at Stanford university. Um, so the same thing, right? So look, there's pros and cons. Some people it works on. I think these days you have to be careful with automation. I think a little bit of light automation is good. Um, to always have like what I call like things running in the background that are working for you. And, and that's really where narrow stops, right? So we'll like, we'll, we'll follow. Um, we can, you can adjust kind of how aggressive you want to be. Um, uh, even when we do like when we onboard customers, we do a lot of concierge onboarding. The way the things we recommend is go engage with like Twitter hashtags of conferences or events that are in your industry, popular hashtags, specific people, because if you start engaging with like Neil Patel and you start following, like I have Neil Patel, I have Rand Fishkin, I have growth hackers. I have all like the big, the big brands that are talking about marketing. 99% of the time they're creating great stuff, right? Um, and they're sharing good stuff. So I'm not really being, uh, I'm only engaging with people that are engaging with them. Um, but so it's just automation and you have to be careful. I don't think you should do, I don't believe you should do, you know, really fully automated. Like look at Instagram. It just got, or however you say it, it got shut down recently. And that's because if you engage with people on Instagram and you start liking, and you start commenting on their stuff, dude, it's really obvious to, to know that you didn't comment. I like this. Like, cause I, I get a lot of people I know, like I'm going to call it the ladders, like the ladder, like, um, they created, uh, I forgot, they like, I don't even know what they do, but they have this awesome growth hacking kind of, uh, tactical kind of, uh, guide. But, um, they, my Instagram is literally pictures of my wife and I doing, you know, fun stuff, like living our life. It's literally dedicated, like the whole Instagram is dedicated to my wife and I. We're just doing cool stuff in our lives. Um, or at least we think it's cool. Um, they like, they started like liking and commenting on my stuff saying, you know, something stupid, like, oh, check out our like, website. I'm like, dude, really? Is that going to work? So you can't be stupid about it. You have to have a lot of filters in place. That being said, like when I was recruiting for uh, my replacement at whenIWork.com, that's kind of what I was doing before I ramp and web profits. I, I set up a bunch of automation to view people's profiles that were fam- like that were similar criteria. And I would just view them. And I, when I would view them, my profile bio said I'm hiring a VP of marketing. So simple things like that, non-intrusive stuff. I think it's okay. Personally, maybe people don't like it, but, um, it, it works. And with narrow, we literally like forex my following and it was just doing lightweight automation and publishing really good content. So like if you, if you publish good content and you add value in social media and you do automation, I think it works. Uh, if you just do automation and you expect amazing results, um, you're going to be the annoying spammer guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I guess I, I don't, what I don't want is people to think that using automation only, they will have, they will manage to build a business. It's, it's, it's a tactic that can be used, as you said, in the smart way. Uh, but I think people have to be very thoughtful about it more and more because people get used to those kind of tactics and they get kind of used to it so much that they don't really engage with them anymore. And so it's always about trying to find these next growth hacks that's going to work for like a month and then it's not going to work anymore because people have, have uh, got used to it. So the reason why I'm so- talking to you today is not because of your Twitter automation skills. It's because you create good shit, you're transparent, uh, your tools are very good. And so I think that's why 
people should fo focus on way more than trying to automate their stuff, right? Yeah, and it, it should be an ancillary strategy, not a primary strategy. And you know, it's it's it, it same goes in life, right? If if it sounds too good to be true, like it usually is. Um, and I would say that with you know fully automated stuff. Um, I'm just curious about another thing. So you. you You're, you're into growth hacking and you define it as a mindset. And I kind of agree with you. Uh, the only difference is I would say, I wouldn't call it growth hacking. I would just call it marketing because that's how it is. Uh, I think nowadays good marketers, I think, do growth hacking even uh, without calling it uh, this way. But there seems to be a rush in people and in businesses to, you know, to grow as fast as they can, to, to, to go as fast as they can, to innovate as fast as they can. So why do you think there's such a rush at the minute of like, people don't seem to take their time anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like the way the world is going. I think Snapchats of the world and just instant gratification with, I would blame, I would blame Snapchat and Uber for that, right? Like 24 hour messages um, and and the fact that you can do anything on, you can get practically anything on demand. Like I literally... Um, when I travel to a new place, I usually get soothed, which is like on demand, uh, massages before I speak or after I speak at a conference. And I just, I just do that. But like I could, like you could do everything. So I think it's just a rush of getting things quickly, but I also think it's, um, it's, I think it's always been this way, but now with the technology that's available, people can actually, everyone always wanted things quickly, but now I think people can actually do it because there's. Uh, if you look at like, if you're a marketer, you can literally use like 10 pieces of software um, and you literally don't need any dev work after you implement that, right? Like I just implemented like uh, for Mailshake, we just implemented Drift and we can now do in-app messages. I can pretty much communicate with all of my customers, set up anything I want without my co-founder, my developer getting involved at all. And so it's actually possible these days to grow really, really quickly. Uh, but I think it's, You have to grow at um, – I think you have to think about growth as where you stand, right? I think a lot of people just read something and they're like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. Well, you might not be in the same stage of your company, right? Like Mailshake, like we literally spend $0 on marketing. I, 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 the marketing we do, our customers come from full, full disclosure. We have two to 300 customers that come a month right now. Um, most of them come from word of mouth. And the other half, come, like the other kind of third would come from, you know, literally reading an article that references Mailshake or whatnot. Um, and, and that's it. But we don't have the economics yet because we've been out for, you know, six months as a, as a, as this brand is this tool. We don't even know our true LTV. So if we were to go say, let's go spend the money on a bunch of advertising because we know like, Hey, our competitors did it or this other company did it. I'm sure we can make it work, but like, It'd be stupid because we still have a lot of work to do. We still we don't want to do that yet. So I think it's growing at the right stage. Um, and a lot of people, what the most common thing I mistake I see is early stage startups or early stage companies that are still I would say channel market fit where they haven't figured out the channels that are going to help them scale. Try to go at it, or maybe they're not even past product market fit. And the worst thing you can do is like imagine going on. Um, you know, if you have a If your product is not done, your company is not like fully baked um, and polished, imagine going in front of 5 million people and saying, hey, look at our product. Of course, people are going to have bad feedback. You want to save that at the right time. Yeah, that's a very good point. So one thing at a time, one, set at, one stage at a time and, and not rushing is definitely Great advice. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit deeper into what we started to discuss at the, the, at the start of the podcast. So you mentioned how you create content and how you have a researcher and an editor that, that really helps you to, to create content in a regular basis. And you also said quite openly that some content that you create on like entrepreneur.com and that kind of um, third party website wouldn't be necessarily what you read, but you know that other people read it. So that's quite cool. So let's say now that you want to You, you have created a very good piece of content. So actually to name one from yourself, you've actually created uh, this email outreach playbook as part of the launch for mailshake.io.com. Um, and I actually would advise listeners to, to take it, to take a look. It's 100% free. There's no, no need to, to add any emails to it or whatever, or 
you have access to it straight away. So anyway, let's let's assume that you have this playbook or this very good piece of content. How how do you how would you advise people to promote it? What would be the the process? Yeah. So this is where like this is the single point of failure where con when content marketing doesn't work or why content marketing doesn't work. Um, so you have to think first and foremost, you have to think about promotion of the article at the inception of the idea, right? So when you actually come up with the idea, think about at that point, what are you going to do to actually promote the thing? Um, if you can't come up with the simple and hard and fast rule is if you can't come up with enough ideas, um, you shouldn't write the topic at all. Because if you can't promote it, it's not going to get as much value as you think, and you're going to leave it to up in the air for it to provide an ROI. So I'm always thinking about what am I going to do to promote it. Now, there's simple things. I actually did a – recently I did a, a Facebook Live video with HubSpot, and we made a checklist of 18 things you can do. And I'll share this with you afterwards, but there's literally – there's short-term things you can do and long-term things. The short-term things is um, make sure – you're doing internal linking to old content, like other content. Uh, have remarketing campaigns going out, uh, and the remark remarketing should be of your latest article. So that way, at least people who have visited your site show you you show them like great more value add information. Um, if you don't have an email list, like stop everything you're doing and make sure you're collecting emails and create and set that up. And every article that you send out, make sure you email your whole list or, you know, that, that list. Um, I try to, and I also, if you have an email list, I'll make sure I up, and this is some of this is like really basic. I'll, uh, I'll create a custom audience on Facebook and even a lookalike audience and I'll start advertising to them. I actually spend somewhere between 25 and a hundred dollars for every single article I create and that uh, on Facebook specifically, and that helps me, one, um, it gets my content some life immediately. Number two is uh, it makes me a better writer. Uh, it makes my uh, – because I'm writing Facebook ads and shorter, punchier versions, I'm usually just getting smarter about how to market to my audience. And over time, it makes me a better person. I also try to include people in the um, in the article, I either quote them or include data or research um, reference other articles, people, so that I can reach out to them. And the goal there is to build a relationship, um, not promote that article. It's to build a relationship. I've built a lot of relationships using that specific tactic, but um, it's a great way to kind of connect with people. And you know, you you ask for feedback. Uh, if you're new to blogging or like you have it, we don't have a name, a brand. That's okay too. What you do is instead of asking for a quote before while you're writing the article, you quote them. And then you let them know after the fact, right? So you pretty much remove any work people have to do. Um, and then um, what is it called? I use – so one of the services we have, our own, uh, Q, Q-U-U We have uh, on one side, it's people that are filling up their social media feeds. We're cur curating the content. On the other side, it's you can actually pay to submit your content there. If it meets our editorial guidelines, like a human reviews it, it's good we can submit it to that category. So usually I found with Q now speaking as I'm taking my founder hat on, I'm speaking as a user from my actual data of promoting content there, it gets anywhere between 50 to 200 shares. And so again, that's a lot of shares. It just gets, it's a lot of noise. It's automation a bit, but it gets in front of people and you do this over and over again. And while doing this, you build more relationships. Uh, you figure out places you can syndicate. Uh, one powerful way, place to start would be Google your whatever industry you're in. Let's just say you're in um, you're in data science or like big data, right? That's a pretty big industry. Google top big data newsletters, top big data email newsletters, and find all the people creating curating content or sharing good content. And keep adding value to those guys and build relationship. At some point, they'll start sharing your content, and uh, you're going to get a lot. You're going to get in front of a lot of people. So you're essentially getting on other people's email lists. And lastly, is guest post. So that email outreach, or uh, you know, that was uh, what we call an epic article. It's like a 10x post, or you know, really, really big piece of uh, 
uh, content that's of great user experience, ungated, but with the option to download. So um, when we do that, we typically create between five to 30 article ancillary articles that we will use for guest posts for this, the coming months. Um, and so we're still writing guest posts related to spark parts of it. Um, fractions of it. So we have a, I have a couple of videos I'm creating. I'm talking about like maybe one zoomed in part, right? So like one part of the article or the guide is follow up. One part of the guide is literally, you know, making sure your subject lines are great. Those are individual guest posts that we're doing elsewhere. So we're pitching that there too. Now, those guest posts are things we identified early on. So we found the places we want to guest post when we came up with the idea. So what we did was, you know, we Googled all the different, like think about the table of contents for that, the outline for that, we, all the headings and subheadings for that article or that guide. We literally Googled those keywords and find all, found all the blogs that are writing content about that. And so we are going to, we plan to pitch those sites after we launch. And that's exactly what we did. And we're still working on it. It's been, the guide's been out for probably six, seven months, um, way before the company was out. Um, and you know, we're going to probably, we have about another 10 articles that are either like probably unwritten even, and that we're still pitching out to guest posts. So I, I think that's amazing. All the, the stuff you shared. So thanks for that. I think if I could, if I could extract two that I know will work in 10 years or 20 years or even 50 years would be the number one you mentioned about mentioning other people when it's relevant and, and, and mentioning other resources within your content so that it's the best opportunity to actually reach out to them and say, Hey, I've, I've actually added you to, to my piece of content, to my blog, to my video, to my podcast episode. Uh, you know, here it is and tell me what you think. If you're a beginner, as you said, and if you're not, then you can, if they know you, then you can actually create, uh, ask them for a quote before or ask them to contribute before, beforehand. So I think number one, that's probably a tactic that will always work because it's based on the core of human relationships. Um, and the second one is what you mentioned last, which is about planning ahead with like very good content and actually extracting every single point and promoting that somewhere else. Uh, because now that you have a good personal brand and also that your companies are very well known and respected, you're able to, to guest post pretty much anywhere. And that's a great way to, um, to get eyeballs, to get people looking at your stuff and discovering your business. So that's really cool. Uh, so thanks so much for sharing all those steps. Um, I'd like to move on to something a little bit more in the future. So I started to talk about the future uh, and say that in 10 years or 20 years, those tactics will still work. But to you, if you had to take a guess, where is the future of the internet going? Like, where are we going with the internet? Yeah, so I think... Um First of all, I don't think I'm qualified to answer that question, right? Nobody's qualified. <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, so in my opinion, I think, one, there's going to be a slew of content and people are changing behavior. It's happening now or it's actually already happened where the new their news source is not Google. Like search engine is not necessarily the first place people find it. It's It's finding it on platforms like Facebook, Instagram. like So people are just changing the social as their form of content. Um, and this has happened progressively over the years. I think it's going to get even even crazier. Um, and, and that means you have to have content like people generally like so so I think content is going to be a great place to actually uh, to actually brand or build build your brand and market your business meaning you lead with content, something of value that can be shared and you get the, you know, your business gets the credit. I think the rise of influencers, not necessarily like influencers, like book authors or myself or people like who are consciously building their brand for B2B marketing. I'm talking about like the random people in Iowa posting Instagram who have like 50 million followers and there's five people in Iowa that have a lot of followers. So there's little things like that, that are, um, that are essentially, uh, they're going to, they're going to be on the rise. So it's like, I call it like 
now everyone has their personal reality TV show, right? And that's Snapchat, essentially Instagram stories, whatever. But that's going to get even bigger and po- more popular. And that's going to replace a lot of these large media uh, companies. And lastly, search the good old, you know, paid, uh, paid search as well as organic. Obviously, it's going to become more and more difficult, but it's not going anywhere. Like people still do it. It's the bread and butter. Uh, at the end of the day, the best marketer is the one who did it, who started 20 years ago, right? Like if you, the age is very, very important. So slow and steady at the end of the day, I think is going to win that race. Yeah, that's a great guess. I would, yeah, absolutely. Like it's going to get more and more fragmented. TV is dying, replacing by being replaced by channels that people control and can watch stuff when they want to, not when they are, they're not being fed things. They choose to feed, to feed themselves, right? And so I guess that's one thing that, that marketers would have to, to think about a little bit more is how to create their own personal brands. Because as you said, it's their own reality TV show at the end of the day. Uh, and people strive for that. They like, people love to connect with other people. That's, that's a truth that is not going to change. Um, so that's really interesting. Uh, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is if you had to choose three resources, so they could be tools, books, podcasts, whatever you, you want, uh, to recommend to digital marketers, uh, and listeners of this podcast, what would they be? Yeah. So I would say definitely hacking growth by Sean and Morgan, uh, Sean Ellis and Morgan Brown. Um, great book on the fundamentals of growth and, uh, addressing kind of the things that like the Airbnbs and Dropbox of the worlds did, but, um, distilling it into kind of a framework people can follow. Um, look, I think if it's, I, I would just, the way I immerse myself or recommend people immerse themselves into, into learning something is go, go to growth hack. If you want to learn marketing, go to growth hackers, go to inbound, just follow all the links and follow the people. Like that's going to be way faster than reading any books, but there's great business fundamental books. Uh, good to great by, I think Jim Collins, uh, never eat alone. Uh, Keith Ferrazzi, that is probably one of my favorite books. Um, 80, 20 rule. I follow that to the T, like not to the T, but like that's, I'm very religious on like, I would say, uh, my business partner, I have an inside joke and I do the 80, 20 of the 80, 20. So he calls it 96, four. Uh, <laughs> it's just cause like I only do the things that are going to move the needle and everything else either gets someone else on my team does it or it gets swept in the rug. We never do it. So, um, those are probably some good books to start. And at the end of the day, one of the things I learned from burning out, coming back, and I think being on top of my game, maybe, you know, maybe there's people smarter than me, but I feel like I'm always kind of pushing myself and getting smarter is never stop learning, right? So whether it's a good book, bad book, you know, whatever, always learn and, you know, uh, knowledge without execution or knowledge that action is a waste. So always be executing. Yep. Completely agree with you. So Sujan, you've been amazing. Where can listeners connect with you, email you or, or follow you? Yeah. So, uh, probably best place is my blog, sujanpatel.com or the web profits blog, webprofits.agency. Um, I'm on Twitter, probably the most active Facebook as well. It's slash Sujan Patel. And, uh, yeah, if you have any questions or, you know, uh, have any specific places you're stuck, just ping me. I'm, I'm usually fairly responsive and, and, in, uh, in answering questions and, and helping people get unstuck as long as you're very specific. Like, how do you make money online? I have no clue. That's a broad question. Uh, <laughs> but if you're stuck doing a specific business and uh, y- y- how do I grow it? That, that's more something I can uh, I can answer. Yeah, I can I can vouch for that. You, you've been really responsive to me. And uh, I know that from other people that you've been helping them for free. So Hopefully, a lot of listeners will email you, and not too many, but a few, and I'm sure they'll have questions for you. So, Sujan, thank you so much once again, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com, and this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So, before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you 
my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.